In just a short period of time, the world's leading state sponsor of terror will be on the cusp of acquiring the world's most dangerous weapons. Therefore, I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. The Iran deal is defective at its core. Israeli generals told Benjamin Netanyahu that the deal is working. America will not be held hostage to nuclear blackmail. Uh, Secretary Mattis said that it was in our interest to stay. When I make promises, I keep them. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says there is no O for obstruction, but we're still not sure about the P. He's Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So the term that keeps popping up for Trump's people is grifter. Vanity Fair says EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is the most shameless White House grifter. Steve Mnuchin is a grifter. A New York Times columnist says this is a whole White House of grifters. That seems a little facile to me, and it ignores the crucial distinction between grifters and grafters. The grifter isn't just a con man. The grifter is an artiste. He wants your applause, not just your money. Charles Ponzi was a grifter. The grifter has real ambitions. The grafter, on the other hand, is a run-of-the-mill abuser of the public trust. He doesn't want an audience. His day's work is self-dealing, insider trading, bribe-taking, witness tampering, and so on. Spiro Agnew was a grafter. William Jefferson, the Louisiana congressman who kept cash in his freezer, was a grafter. Illinois governors are usually grafters. Donald Trump himself is the archetypal grifter. Using the presidency to promote your golf courses? That's grifting. So is getting people to pay a premium for buildings with your name in big gold letters. The Apprentice, a reality show about pretending to be a huge real estate mogul, that's grifting squared. Trump University, getting people to pay you to share your secrets about pretending to be a huge real estate mogul, that's grifting to the third power. Trump-branded steaks, Trump wine, Trump-bottled water, come on, bottled water is grifting by definition. Jared Kushner, by contrast, is a grafter. Trying to get Qatari investors to bail out your dumb real estate investment, that's grafting. Selling EB-5 visas to Chinese investors? That's grafting. But Jared is a grafter married to a grifter. Representing that Trump Soho is 60% sold when it was really only 15%? That's classic grifting, Ivanka. Hawking fake diamonds on QVC? The quintessence of grifting. Ivanka's brothers, however, are grafters. That's why Eric and Don Jr. don't command their father's respect. In fact, you can't really understand the Trump administration until you appreciate that deep down, the grifters all have contempt for the grafters. Grifters can graft when they're in the mood, but grafters lack the imagination and showmanship to grift. The grafters, meanwhile, think the grifters are nutjobs. This is the psychological civil war playing out every day in the Trump White House. Let's mention a few others. Kellyanne Conway, grifter. Corey Lewandowski, grafter. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, grifter's daughter and grifter mouthpiece, but not a true grifter herself. Roger Stone, grifter. Michael Cohn, grafter. Steve Bannon, grifter. Scott Pruitt, grafter. Anthony Scaramucci, grifter, but a lousy one. Paul Manafort, 
epic grafter. In another Trump administration mixed marriage, the Wall Street grafter Steve Mnuchin lives with the Scottish grifter Louise Linton. You can play this game at home. Today on the show, Trump terminates the Iran nuclear deal with extreme prejudice against Barack Obama. I'll be back with Slate's Fred Kaplan right after we do the tweets. The United States does not need John Kerry's possibly illegal shadow diplomacy on the very badly negotiated Iran deal. He was the one that created this mess in the first place. John Kerry can't get over the fact that he had his chance and blew it. Stay away from negotiations, John. You are hurting your country. Is this phony witch hunt going to go on even longer so it wrongfully impacts the midterm elections, which is what the Democrats always want? Republicans better get tough and smart before it's too late. The Russia witch hunt is rapidly losing credibility. House Intelligence Committee found no collusion, coordination, or anything else with Russia. So now the probe says, okay, what else is there? How about obstruction for a made-up phony crime? There is no O. It's called fighting back. Joining me on the line is Slate's defense correspondent, Fred Kaplan. Fred, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, sure. Thank you. So we just watched Donald Trump pull out of the Iran deal. The basic message seemed to be it was a bad deal, and we know it was a bad deal because Obama made it. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's certainly prima facie, right? I mean, just inherently. There's really only three motives that you can attribute this decision to. One... Yeah, a, a need to just just kind of compulsion to to torpedo yet another accomplishment of Barack Obama. Second, a, a really fundamental misunderstanding of what this deal does. I, I would be very surprised if he's ever heard or listened to a comprehensive briefing of what's in this deal. And third, and and you know this can't be overlooked, a desire to. We can destroy or go to war against the government of Iran. It's certainly no mere coincidence that can be overlooked that his most outspoken backers of this move, namely Bibi Netanyahu, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and National Security Advisor John Bolton, have uh, have, have outspokenly presented that as a chief motive of, of their whole worldview, that they want regime change in Iran. And, and you know, in the past week especially, a number of people, including several people who were critical of the deal, uh, many top Israeli security and military officials, the Republican chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, about 100 ex-diplomats who have signed... Um, a petition saying, look, it's really a bad idea to pull out of this thing. Well, you know, it is, but it's not a bad idea of what you want to do is to try to 
foster regime change in Iran, something that we're not really very good at. Yeah, I mean, it was striking to see John Bolton standing there in the doorway. I mean, from the people mm-hmm. who brought you regime change in Iraq and Iraq's weapons of mass destruction. I mean, yep. I, I guess the you know the, the, there are two key questions to me. I mean, one is, did Iran really violate the deal? And the other one is, does pulling out hasten the day or delay the day when Iran will have a nuclear weapon? Well, did they cheat on the deal? I mean. Everybody who's looked at it with the highest security clearances they have says, no, they haven't. You know, Pompeo says, no, they're in compliance with the deal. Uh, Director of National Intelligence, they're in compliance with the deal. International Atomic Energy Agency, in reports 10 times, they are in full compliance with the deal. The only way that you could remotely say they were hedging on this deal a bit is... Uh, that there is a clause in the deal which requires Iran to come clean, as Netanyahu put it last week, with their historical nuclear activities. And they've always said, no, we've never tried to build a nuclear weapon. And these, this trove of documents that Netanyahu uh, said that the Israelis had captured late last month they show pretty conclusively that Iran at one point, I mean, these documents were dated in 2003 (laughs) or earlier. They were doing things that you could infer meant they were pursuing a nuclear weapon. Now, which we knew, which we knew, but they did not fully acknowledge. Right. This has been known for quite some time, maybe in not such detail, but it's been known for quite some time. And in fact, the verification provisions in the Iran deal are as tight and as detailed as they are precisely because the people negotiated it assumed, they assumed that Iran might try to cheat, that there are at least certain factions in Iran that would like to build a nuclear weapon. And in fact, you know, Secretary of Defense James Mattis, who is certainly no fan of the Iranian government, testified before a Senate committee last week that he read, he went back and read this deal, which by the way is 140 pages, three times. (laughs) And he was impressed with each reading just how robust these, that's his word, robust, these verification procedures were so that they allowed the inspectors to make very intrusive inspections into everything that Iran has. I mean, the real question, though, that comes up is, how can anyone trust the United States? Because if if any president coming into office is not bound to honor an agreement made by his predecessor, why should, I mean, forget if it's it's Iran or North Korea Mm -hmm. or any other country making a multi-party agreement, if if an election is just going to mean it's thrown out and there's no continuity of it's effectively a treaty negotiation. It's not an actual treaty, yeah. but if the agreement isn't binding, what? How can you? Why? Why bother to deal with the U.S. at all? Well, it's a good point. But now something should be de- should be made clear here. Now, this wasn't a treaty, but every international agreement of this sort has a withdrawal provision. You know, basically the wording is usually if one side decides that it is no longer in its national security interest to continue abiding by this deal, they can pull out, and there are procedures for pulling out. For example, when when George W. Bush 
abrogated the 1972 anti-ballistic missile treaty mm. because he thought that the United States needs to build missile defenses to protect against possible Iranian and North Korean missiles. But there are ways of doing this. Trump just said, I'm pulling out. There's no real reason for it. Uh, the treaty is, the deal is not harming U.S. or anybody's national security interests as far as anybody has outlined. His claim that Iran is has an active uh, nuclear weapons program and cheated on the deal is a sheer lie. You know, let's call it what it is. So it was for no reason whatsoever. And in the meantime, and, and people all over the world must be scratching their heads on this. He said with great fanfare that uh, as we speak, Pompeo is on his way to North Korea to line up uh, terms of the talks that are coming up there. And they're, I hope they're a great success. I mean, let's do some contrast here. Iran does not have and never has had any nuclear weapons. They actually did really dismantle their nuclear program. I mean, they don't have the ability to build nuclear weapons. It'll take them a couple of years to get back to where they were before this deal was struck. And yes, they treat their people badly, and they have ballistic missiles, and they support terrorist movements. And on those latter two things, there are still sanctions in place related to those. By contrast, North Korea actually has nuclear weapons. Somewhere between 12, I've estimates range from 12 to 60. They also have ballistic missiles. They also treat their people, you know, like shit. I mean, you know, 2 million people died in a famine there. A, a government created famine. And yet, you know, Trump says that Kim is a, I think he said an open and honorable man. The lesson to miscreant governments with possible nuclear aspirations worldwide is don't say a word to the U.S. or any other Western government until you have a small nuclear arsenal. Then go all charm offensive on them. But don't do anything. Get your nukes first. Otherwise, you're going to end up dead or betrayed. You know, Kim Jong-un has got to be looking around the world. You know, he's, he's not an idiot. He says, okay, Iraq, you know, they had to give up their nuclear program. Saddam Hussein is dead. Libya gave up his nuclear program. And by the way, they weren't nuclear weapons, just programs. Yeah. He, you know, Gaddafi's dead. Iran dismantles its quite ambitious and, and complex nuclear program. And Trump just pulls out of the deal with no good reason. So why possibly would Kim Jong-un or even the most rational leader that you could possibly imagine decide, okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismantle all of my nuclear weapons, many of which no Western intelligence agency even knows where they are, in exchange for a promise from Trump that the United States, for example, won't invade us anymore or, or will give us some more economic aid and that sort of thing. If Trump really is going there with the idea not to engage in kind of step-by-step -step phased cooperative measures, but really just an, an all-at-once deal, like you get rid of your nukes and we'll do all kinds of wonderful things. You know, he's, he's, uh, I, I don't, 
it's amazing that anybody could possibly think that. So, Fred, what happens in Iran now? Presumably the U.S. tries to reinstitute its sanctions, but Britain, France, Germany, the allies who are against pulling out of this agreement, are they going to bring back sanctions? Are are there going to be sanctions on Iran that are at all effective in impeding them from returning to a nuclear weapons program? Well, this has to be specified a bit more, and maybe it will be this Saturday when the deadline happens. But one thing, you know, in sanctions, at least in the past, these sanctions have not just been on Iran, but there have also been secondary sanctions on any other government or business that seeks to do business in Iran. And so let's say you're a a French bank or or airplane aircraft manufacturer and you've got a choice to make you either give up your businesses or decide not to pursue any businesses with iran and therefore maintain your good relation with uh purveyors and providers of the dollar you know american government american banks or yeah you, you keep your business interests going in iran but you don't have any more relationships with American banks or any or access to dollars or anything of the sort, you know, you're probably going to give up your Iranian interest. And in fact, you know, another another problem here, this is really I mean, the hardliners in Iran, they're shortling. This strengthens them because they really haven't got as much out of this deal as as Rouhani had promised, because mainly because. Uh, everybody's been waiting to see what Trump will do. Trump is president. Trump said that he's going to get out of this deal. Nobody, no companies have wanted to, no Western companies have wanted to, to invest heavily in Iran only to have to lose their investments or, or face U.S. secondary sanctions. And now uh, that, that, that's been confirmed. But what's going to happen? Are these going to just be... Well, the people yeah. like Rouhani and uh, who, who have really tried to reintegrate Iran into the into you know the world financial system they're they're terribly weakened by this now i know some people say well this thing about there being factions is, is all nonsense it's all just a ploy they're all hardliners there's no such thing as a moderate iranian but you know people who know a lot more about iran than i do say that um this isn't so. There really is a power struggle going on. And um, Trump has now handed one to the hardliners, which, from John Bolton's point of view, is a good idea. Because the more the hardliners come to the fore, the better argument he can make to bomb Iran. So, but what happened? What do the Europeans do now? Did they try to work out an understanding with the Iranians where Iranians remain within the agreement and Europeans uh, don't return to sanctions? Or are bets just off now in terms of, you know, the Europeans aren't going to pass new sanctions and Iran's not yeah. going to abide by the by the defunct agreement? Well, the, the, the Europe, some EU officials were, were quoted in a news story today as saying they, they're going to try to do exactly the first option of, of work out some way, some assurances to Iran, uh, that they'll still get business, just stay in the deal, see what we can do on our own. But but as I said, and, and you know, there have been a couple instances in the past when they have provided um, compensatory incentives, let us say, to, to, to keep people in agreement. In other words, I, I guess they could uh, go to the banks and other businesses that have been thinking about or are doing limited 
business in in Iran and said, "Okay, look, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna lose some business with the United States if you keep doing this, but we will compensate you for those losses." Well, you know, I mean, I, that's possible. It, it it I don't know how many billions of dollars that amounts to, and and it, I don't know how much. Uh, the EU countries are going to want to further incite and and exacerbate uh, already pretty heavy tensions with the United States. I mean, it could be that you know after after making these these pitches and doing the, the, these charm offensives with Trump, uh, guys like Macron. And although she was never into charm offensives, Merkel, uh, they might decide, look, you know what? As long as this guy's president, there's very little that we can do with this. So screw it. Let's go our own way. Do what we think needs to be done. Step up to the plate and be leaders on this kind of issues. And if this upsets the United States, so be it. In fact, let's take them. If they try to prevent our companies from doing business in Iran, let, let's take them to the WTO and, uh, you know, see if we can can get it stopped through those means but so 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 basically yeah i mean this is really quite a lovely situation that that trump has has brought us into i mean your your somewhat cynical view fred is that bibi netanyahu and and john bolton would like iran to now pursue its program so it so they could have a pretext to bomb I, iran to I agree to go with to war completely you, fact, you you know, think that's you think that's what they're trying to do it, will iran fall into that trap i mean if that's then if that's the case then they would be well advised not to resume a nuclear program and not give Israel and the United States a pretext to take military act, preemptive military action. Well, you're right. But how about this? I see no reason at this point why Iran would continue to allow IAEA inspectors to uh, hang around in their in their reactors and their plants give them lists of things that they'd like to go inspect. Unless there's a separate agreement with Europe, European yeah, powers. That's, that's right. I mean, yeah. that, and, and this, listen, if that happens, that would be very interesting because there's, it would be unprecedented. I mean, the Europeans have never negotiated this kind of thing on their own, and especially not in defiance of, of what the U.S. government has done. But yeah, it could. But let's say that uh, Iran just says, no, we're not going to cooperate with these inspectors. I can imagine uh, heavily politicized intelligence is saying, oh, here's some evidence that Iran is resuming this, that, or the other thing, and there are no inspectors any longer to go check it out. You know, a, a case could be... It, Trump was convinced, or who knows, it might have just... He, he might not be convinced, maybe he's just citing it to confirm his own biases, that this Bacacta high theater that, that Netanyahu put on last week talking about the the 100,000 pages of documents that we've stolen from a, from a vault in, in Tehran, he, he thinks that proves that Iran still has a nuclear program, when, when in fact it, 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 it shows, not only does it not show that, it shows the opposite of that. But so he could be convinced of, of whatever he wants to be convinced of. And, and that's when, with Donald Trump, we get into potentially dangerous uh, situations. Well, fakakta is the right word. (laughs) I've been speaking to Fred Kaplan. He writes the War Stories column for Slate. Fred, thanks for joining me. Thank you.
That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. John Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. Can I remind you about our live show? It's coming up at the Bell House in Brooklyn on May 30th at 7.30. You can get tickets at slate.com slash live. This is going to be a fun one. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. One more time on that one. It's so delicious. There's so much to it. It's like steak. It's like steak. I'm slicing it into thin slices here. Here we go.